0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: We love a little drama, especially when there's drama in the NFL, and we have that right now. This is all things NFL beef. Ahmed Farid here. Got my buddies, Corey Robinson, Jack Collinsworth. Corey, we don't have any beef on this podcast yet, do we? Have we created any between ourselves?
0: No, no beef yet. You know, maybe yeah. we should start something. Maybe I should just go rogue and tweet something randomly, like <laughs> at uh, Ahmed, at Jack. Start something yes. else.
1: Yes, I'm I'm go all for it. Some I'm pod all for beef. It. Yes, 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 I'm all for it. Um, so Jack, this is uh, there, there's actually beef on multiple fronts here that we want to get through today, and it kind of what started the conversation for us. Uh, was the beef that uh, has been going on with the wide receivers lately. And I do want to give some credit to to Chris Sims. He came out with his top 10 wide receivers list, left off Keenan Allen. And I feel like that's just set Keenan off over the last week here because he's been left off or at least farther down some other wide receiver lists as well. Uh, this is what he, he tweeted not that long ago. Uh, I'm tired of biting my tongue. You got Tyreek Evans, or you got Tyreek Hill, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Uh, The list goes on are not a better receiver than me, faster than me every day of the week, but separation child, please. And so he's getting all heated. Mike Evans is going back at him and saying, you're not on my level, bro. And so we got beef in the wide receiver ranks, which prompted Keenan Allen to say I'm the best wide receiver in the AFC West, which got us thinking we should actually do that. We should break down and see who are the best receivers in each, each division. We'll see if Keenan is correct about himself. We're going to do that. But about 10 minutes from now, we'll do that, Jack, because the big story uh, is elsewhere and it still has to do with NFL beef. Jamal Adams wanted out of New York. He got out of New York. He's over in Seattle right now. Huge move. I just want to get your your thoughts, your initial take on on what we saw go down here.
2: I think the initial take is that you gave up a lot. Two first-round picks for a safety and a third-round pick in 2021. So that's back-to-back years with a first-round pick. And then they get a Jets' fourth-round pick in 2022. Uh, and so the first question you ask is, is it too much? And the answer is yes. I think it is it is too much. And But you're trying to win Super Bowls. The goal is mm-hmm. to win Super Bowls within Russell's prime. And you have to think that from Pete Carroll's standpoint, from the coaching staff, the front office standpoint, that's what they're honing in on. But you'd also like to have two first-round picks uh, during this prime. And who knows how long this prime may be? He's only 31 years old. We're seeing quarterbacks now play 42-plus. It feels like a lot, especially given that you still have to pay him. It it gives me flashbacks a little bit to the Laramie Tunzel deal with the Texans where they gave up the multiple first-rounders and then still had to sign him to a massive extension. Think about the amount of leverage it gives a player, specifically a non-quarterback player to say, you gave up two first and a third to come get me, you're going to pay me whatever the hell I want. Uh, And I don't know that you're going to be able to get away with just top safety money, because he plays everywhere. I mean, I was looking at where he's lined up, 318 snaps off the edge, 100, so over 1,000 snaps, 1,099 snaps playing linebacker, 328 snaps playing strong safety, 868 snaps playing free safety. He's one of those guys that just moves everywhere, and can make plays from everywhere, and his pass rush grade was about a 90, a PFF pass rush grade of 90, playing all those different positions. 25 total pressures, the most among safeties. Nobody else even had above 16, uh, and that was Malcolm Jenkins. So he gets after the passer, so you're going to have to pay him like some unique guy, uh, mm-hmm. and knowing that you just gave Russell Wilson all that money, this, this is a really big move for, for Seattle.
1: He is super unique guy. Uh, he's like uh, Cam Chancellor, which is super um necessary for that uh, Seattle scheme defense you got to have a guy like that but he's almost like yeah. Cam Chancellor plus with uh, all the all the multiple positions that that he can play even more than than Cam could so Corey what's what's your thought on this whole thing
0: yeah I mean what what they what they gave up was was an arm and a leg but the, at the end of the day what do you want to accomplish like Jack said you want to win a Super Bowl and you have you know one of the best quarterbacks in in the world, right? Russell Wilson is transcendent. You have Bobby Wagner, who is also transcendent. And now you have a safety who's proven that over the past couple of years that this guy's one bad dude, one of the best in the league. So hopefully those are the pieces you need in addition to, like I said, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett on the outside. It looks like they have all the pieces necessary to go for a title run and finally give, um, finally give them a shot to win a ring. So I think it's a good move if, if you're trying to win a Super Bowl. Uh, But the question is, how long can you keep them together? And I don't know how long you can keep the band together, because right now they're going to pay him on the rookie contract, which is a sweet deal. Only like three and a half million or so this first year. But after that, Jack's right. You're going to have to pay up. And uh, I don't know how you're going to I don't know if there's enough money to go around with all those superstars. I don't know. Yeah. So it's, it's it's a lot of
1: funny money. It seems like a lot of times with the NFL, they they all find out a find a way to do it, especially uh, if they're in that window and they think they got a team that can compete. But certainly a problem for uh, a few years down the line. I always look at it like this: it's like, um, say you want to live in uh, in Manhattan, you know, and you want to buy uh, buy an apartment in Manhattan. You're like, wow, I got to spend that much for a 500 square foot apartment in Manhattan. I, I don't want to overpay like that. But if you, you don't overpay, guess what? You don't get to live in Manhattan. It's just what you it's just what you gotta pay. And so I, I kind of look at it from that perspective for some of these teams. It's like Jack, if if yeah, it's a lot, but if you think that this is a, a key piece to your defense, puts you over the top and potentially increases your, your Super Bowl odds, then it's like, well, yeah, you gotta pay it. You know, it's either that or or live in, in, in Nebraska with well, nothing against Nebraska, but live in Nebraska for a lot cheaper. You're not living in Manhattan. And if uh, Seattle doesn't do this deal, they're not getting one of the best safeties uh, in the NFL.
0: Yeah. And, and I think what we talked about before with the NFL, there's not really like a lot of guaranteed money. Right. So I don't think the risk is as high. You know, you, it's, not, it's not like you have to pay him you know, yeah. a huge contract coming up. So, I mean, really it's kind of like a low risk thing. The only thing you gave up was the, the draft picks. And for the most part, those are trade pieces anyways. Right. It's like monopoly. You're just kind of like holding property to trade and, and give yourself a chance to win. So why bet on a first-round draft pick that is unproven in the league, as we've seen so many first-round draft picks either just perform average or kind of fizzle out? They're not all Joe Burrows in, in a sense, right? Yeah. I mean, you have a guy who's an all-pro safety. I mean, yeah. just do it now. Two yeah. Two
2: first-rounders a lot. And let's not act like yeah. the third-rounder is nothing. I mean, Tyler Lockett, their best receiver, was a third-rounder. So yeah. like that. Well, maybe, that maybe draft that's part of it, too, of though. Itself. They feel like they can they
1: feel like they can get the DK Metcalfs and, the, you know, the Tyler Lockett's. They feel like they have an eye for talent. Maybe they don't need that first round pick. Maybe they can get it in the second and third round. They
2: They've may be. And, and, and who knows how confident that they're going to be, that there's going to be a college football season. So they may be yeah. evaluating 2019 tape to make a draft pick and coming out of the 2020 season. That's a hard thing to do. Uh, but I think that really more of a justification in a GM's mind when he goes, "Damn, I really want that player in Jamal Adams. I'm gonna go get him." I don't, you know, there may not even be a college season. I don't need to worry about this draft capital so much. Feels more like a justification than it does to me like a real reason why. Uh, but I think when you get a guy that can cover somebody that doesn't miss tackles and somebody that we put him down around the line of scrimmage and let him go get after a quarterback is the best at all three of those things. It becomes really complicated. And then to Corey and Ahmed's point you you wind up overpaying. And that's what they did here. Uh, but yeah. their Super Bowl runs, what have they had? Dominant safety play. So you can see how they'd say, maybe we give that one more shot.
1: Here's the beef. Um, to bring it full circle to uh to the name of this podcast, uh, this is from last year. You could already start to see it falling apart. The relationship between Jamal and the Jets, uh, kind of a back and forth. That he asked for a trade. Was the team shopping him after they told him personally they were going to make a commitment to him? And then this is just from uh, from a few weeks ago. On uh, on and Jamal Adams tweeted this uh, this story out from uh, I think it was the Daily News that uh, he's like, this is the real story. And so this is the story that Jamal Adams wants to be out there is that they weren't, they weren't straightforward with him. They said they wanted to give him that, that new deal this off season. And then according to, uh, to him, at least Joe Douglas and the team said that, no, it's, it's not going to happen. We're not going to do that deal. This is a a quote on, uh, on Adam Gase right here. He just does not feel like he is the guy in the building that can lead that team. And so certainly it wasn't all about Adam Gase, but I think that was a big part of it for, why Jamal Adams wanted to leave town. Um, so I, for the, from the Jet standpoint here, Corey, I feel like this is you, – yeah, you get the two first-rounders. People say you won the trade because of that. But ultimately, not being able to navigate a relationship with the best player on your defense, perhaps the best player on your team, that is not the proper way to, to team build. And I think ultimately, no matter what you got back in the deal, it's it's a black eye in the organization for not being able to make that work.
0: Yeah, that's problematic. I mean, it's problematic in every sense of the word. He's he's your guy. right? And if you can't build a team organization, a culture around him, that's, that's an issue um, that I think is indicative of a larger probably problem. But the thing that I think is fascinating out of this is the way Jamal Adams forced the hand of the Jets. You can argue whether that was, you know, like that scathing article was appropriate or not. One could argue that. But I think at the end of the day, you have to realize what power it gives a non-quarterback player. Like, A safety to force a trade on you know and that's pretty amazing you think about it like he couldn't get anywhere for nine months kept going through the normal channels nothing was happening so then he just pulls like an ab and just goes on this he's like i called up the daily mail and wrote an article the next day the guy's traded he got what he wanted so i feel like um that that in itself i wonder how that's going to affect future moves particularly like in free agency or forcing trades moving forward because you know you know that tom brady can go wherever he wants you know that you know those guys can but yeah. i but it's not always the same for like a receiver or for a safety or for a dn you kind of have to go through the traditional channel so i think that's going to be a really interesting
2: um uh like a, a
0: precedent moving forward yeah, yeah we've we've seen, adam gates has Jim. been
2: a disaster i mean so so really what's gone wrong there has been a, a There's just it's so convoluted in terms of who's making a final call with regard to the roster. And Gase desperately wants to be that guy. And Gase has not completely been that guy. And so he didn't want Le'Veon Bell. They overpaid for Le'Veon Bell. So all those things. Who knows if he wanted to sign Jamal Adams? Maybe somebody else did. Maybe he didn't. So it's just always been this. And then that turns into the blame game of why you're not winning or why you're not losing. I really like Corey's point about about non-quarterback players having so much more power in the NFL, though. I think this is a real turning point in the league. The NBA, MLB, all these other leagues, you've seen this before, and you're now starting to see this trickle into football. Um, I think that the NFL players are watching those other leagues and seeing how they're doing all that and now emulating it themselves. Uh, And Jamal Adams, one of the biggest social media has been super powerful. For these NFL players, they now have a voice to where they can control their own narrative and the team can try to do theirs. But typically the team's narrative winds up being so PC that nobody wants to listen to it. And the yeah. players winds up being so raw and real that all of a sudden the fans just turn and accept it as truth. And I think that's what you had happen with Jamal Adams. And the Jets had so much other crap going on. They're like, God, let's just get let's just get a headache out of here, even if and if we can get two first rounders along the process, the hell of a deal for us.
1: Yeah, I, I think those are those are really good points. We're seeing the power of the player. Uh, they're finding their leverage. You know, personally, I, I wish they could settle it. You know, I wish, you know, grown adults, a business a franchise like the Jets and a, a professional athlete like uh, Jamal Adams, like the rest of the world, we normally have to try to settle all our differences behind closed doors. No one cares uh, if I'm out there tweeting about how NBC is treating me for the most part. Uh, so, uh, you know, ideally, I would like to see them, Work it like that, but that's just not reality for a lot of these players, especially when multi-million dollars are are on the line. And yeah, if the players don't have the leverage in a in a CBA uh, with the the proper you know guarantees and contracts and and whatnot, then. Yeah, this is this is your leverage. Your, your public voice is your leverage, getting fans on your side, making it a headache for the team and making it to the making it to the point where, yeah, it's easier without you. Life is easier without you for that franchise. And so that's what some of these um, some of these players have to do. Go ahead, Jeff. real
2: quick. Let's just think about over the last three months, twice now I can remember the NFL. So specifically, Patrick Mahomes and the group of players that went after Roger Goodell. Immediately, Roger Goodell issues the apology video again in the negotiations with regard to testing and how we're going to do all this stuff with COVID. The NFL does all the players do a full blitz on management and Roger Goodell. And guess what? The NFL gave them everything they wanted the very next day. So you're starting to really see the players realize via digital social media. All of a sudden we can go get them and forever. The NFL has been king of controlling the PR narrative. Yeah, not so much right now.
0: Yeah. And that's what's so fascinating. Like I, I remember of listening to this one, um, I think it was like a BBC Radio One interview with John Mayer. And he was saying, like, back in the old days, you know, when he was first coming up, um, you kind of had like to go to the media to get a message out, right? You had to have paparazzi to make sure you were staying relevant. You had to, you know, do the Times interview or whatever to, to make sure you got the album message out that you wanted. But he's like, now with Twitter, I can just tweet something. Like I don't yeah. need the media to to kind of yeah be my voice and look at some of the platforms and it's funny because nfl players don't even have the platforms that like basketball or baseball or soccer players have you know but they can still make waves in mass and i think that's what you're you're talking about jack is if you have a hundred nfl stars i mean these are all kings in their states and kings in their local markets and the nfl sees them as these money makers if they all come and say we're going to do this one thing there's I mean, there's nothing the NFL can do. And that's one of the, the biggest um, truths of any organization is that you serve the people, you know, that, that you are, that make up the organization. I remember one time I was yeah. talking to a university president and he said, you know, if 20 students come to me with um, a clearly defined goal and, and they articulate it well, what am I supposed to do? I have to listen. You know, I have to listen to them like they're the students that we're serving. And I don't think a lot of students understand that. And I think a lot of NFL players didn't get that, but now they're like, Oh my God, 20 organized tweets, one video it's over. The NFL has to, they have to respond.
1: Yeah. I do kind of want to go back to those days where they have to go through NBC sports to get their message out. That was a whole lot better for our business. So if we could just kind (laughs) of peel it back a little bit here, uh, that'd be nice. But, uh, but Hey, sometimes the message that you want to get out as a player is that you are the best wide receiver in your division. And that is the message that Keenan Allen wants to get out. You can see it was retweet, uh, retweeted 5.4 thousand times, 20,000 people liked it, which if you take, you know, there's 330 million people in the U.S., 7 billion in the in the, in the world, 20,000 likes agreeing with it. That's not a high number. Keenan needed more than that. Um, but so let's go through it. We uh, It got us thinking. Um, who are the best wide receivers in each division? So this is what we did: we split up every division. I I got a couple of them. I gave you guys three each here. I mm-hmm. uh, gave you more work, um, which is fine. I'm okay with that. So let's start, Jack. And I think you have the uh, AFC West. So let's see what what we did: top threes for all of these. So give me your top three. Let's see if Keenan ends up on top of the AFC West.
2: He is going to end up on the top three. He is definitely not going to end up as number one. Tyreek Hill has – there's such a big difference between fast and then what classifies as NFL fast, what looks fast on an NFL field, and that is one of the hardest things to find and one of the biggest difference makers in NFL football is if you can find somebody that makes NFL speed uh, amongst the DBs uncomfortable. And he is one of very few that can do that and also combines that with great route running ability. And I don't think he gets enough credit as a route runner, but I was just looking at passes 20 plus yards down the field. Tyreek has 433 more receiving yards than any other receiver.
1: Hmm.
2: He is that dominant 20 plus yards down the field. So for me, clear cut, easy, number one. Now Keenan Allen's point, he comes in number two. Keenan Allen is a bad dude. Uh, he's a very bad dude. And they just had, so George Shahari just had, um, Richard Sherman on and asked him who the best receivers in football were. And Keenan Allen was the first name that came out of his mouth. So he was, he was like what first or second name that came out of his mouth. Uh, he's a dominator in the intermediate range in that 10 to 19, uh, yard range. That's where he does his best work. Um, at 601 yards in that range, which is fourth among all receivers, Uh, So he's dominated right there. Great route runner, doesn't have the top end speed like a Tyreek Hill, doesn't blow the top off, but is a terrific route runner and dominates right there uh, in the middle. And my third is a Denver Bronco who broke out in 2018 in Cortland Sutton. Uh, Another big year in 2019, and that's with Drew Locke and Joe Flacco throwing him the football. So I think if they ever figure out a good quarterback in Denver, a great quarterback rather, uh, you're going to see him explode. He's a clear number one. Now Jerry Judy in the building too, take a little heat off him. Uh, it's a good receiver division.
1: I like I like watching him play. He he is good, and I think that relationship. You're right. With Drew Locke is going to be something to watch here, this year and and for the future. That's a, that's a good combination right there. All right. So Keenan Allen, you were close. You weren't quite right in your tweet. According to Jack Collinsworth, you are number two in your own division. I gave myself uh, the uh, NFC South because I wanted to see. You know, Mike Evans is in that one, and he was the one beefing with uh, with Keenan saying that Mike Evans is a better receiver. Guys, I'll tell you what. I, I think I didn't do it on purpose, but the NFC South, that might be like wide receiver division here.
0: Yeah, There's it's, so it's like good wide receiver receivers. heaven.
1: A hundred percent. I feel bad for the people that I, uh, that I left off here, but I'm, I'm going to do my, uh, my three, Jack. I'm going to go from three to one. I'm going to do it like reveal style.
2: It's probably smarter.
1: So here's my three. Wow. And uh, it's, it's Michael Thomas which uh, I think a lot As of people probably have. Yeah, that's, that's how thought, good I, this division is right I here. I thought you said you were going to go three to one. This is number three? This is number three right here. Oh, I know. Boy. What did he have? 100 and, uh, wow. 100 and whatever catches, and he doesn't drop any. I think what was it? I was doing a podcast with Chris uh, not too long ago and uh, about wide receivers, and he has caught the highest percentage of his targets, at least he did last year than any receiver in the nfl which is insane when you think he's gotten over 185 targets or 180 targets last year i think it was 185 um and he caught like 80 of them so he's amazing but he's also in a perfect system and with a perfect quarterback and a perfect coach and so i do think i would take hold on i would take oh not Tyreek. i would take mike evans over him i think he's mm-hmm. just a a freak, and he, he hasn't had the uh the same quarterback play that uh, that Thomas has had in his career, and he is just so good, and I, I hope he can really um, break out even more with Tom Brady over there right now. But you got to respect uh, number eleven for Atlanta. You got to respect uh, Julio Jones and what he's done, not only in his career, but he's still he's still doing it. And I I just value being able to do it all. You know, you're a fast guy; you can catch the ball over the middle, but you just throw it up to. You throw it up to Julio and he can come down with the with the Hail Mary when you got no other option there. So that's my that's my top three. But it's like leaving off Chris Godwin. Um, who else is in the in the, the division? there? There's a couple, you know, D.J. Moore. Yeah, uh, there's it, just that's just a good division with a lot of really good receivers, guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But Julio is uh, Julio's the best. I was watching his tape just. Oh, you agree? You agree? Corey. Oh no, yeah, hundred percent. Julio is the best. I the thing about Julio is that, um, first of all, you don't have to say the rest of his name; it's just Julio. <laughs> that is that's enough to strike fear in anybody. That's pretty sweet. Um, the other thing I love about Julio, though, is that like his game is so beautiful, and I mean this: if you're a fan of football, like you have to just look at his game, and I almost shed tears. It was that beautiful. Like he can do <laughs> everything, and his his yeah. ability to, um, I mean, he has elite body control. He's elite speed. He just like can high point everything. Like it's like everything he does is perfect. And I think what you're talking about before, like Tyreek, like Tyreek has speed, like elite speed. Then you have guys like, you know, Michael Thomas who can just run after the catch. What he does a thousand yards after the catch. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But Julio combines the technician with the speed with power and possession control. With like this knack for playmaking, he's just he's just a one of one receiver. It's, um, it's unbelievable.
1: Jack, you'd have Michael Thomas number one. Did I gather that from the way you I, I it? would?
2: I'd have Michael Thomas one. I'd have Julio two, and I would have um Godwin Chris Godwin three. Ooh, over Mike Evans. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow. Why do you say oh, that easily? No, Chris Godwin's a superstar. easily. <laughs> oh yeah, Chris Godwin is a super super star superstar. And he's gonna, how much was Chris Godwin James...
1: helped by Mike Evans being there, though? Of course, that's, that's the always West.
2: the case. I mean, that's always yeah. the case. Um, but it's not like Julio Jones is surrounded by any slackers. Go look yeah. at their receiver group. Um, so I, I, I'm going Godwin, and I think you're probably not going to see that come to fruition until Tom Brady is his quarterback this year. Um he, he also gave up his number to Tom Brady. He was the number 12 and ended up giving it to him. He'd been number 12 since high school. So I don't think it was one and he wanted to give up either. Uh but just wait till you see him. He was the number one graded period. Number one graded receiver at PFF last year. Chris Godwin. I see that.
1: All right, Corey, let's go to the uh let's go to the AFC South here. And uh why don't you go 3 to 1 with how you see him here?
0: Okay, I chose uh fully, Will Fuller. as my third. I love Will Fuller. Um He was a part of a really, really amazing receiver group. If you think about DeAndre Hopkins, him, and Kenny Stills. Um, But with Hop gone, who had most of the targets, he's one of the best receivers in the league. For me, it's like Julio, and then Hop has to come in top three, right? Now there's an opportunity for Will to kind of step in and become the guy. Uh, He has elite speed as well. Great release. Um, He just has an unbelievable ability to go up and get the ball, much like Tyreek, down the field. And he he's just a he's just a problem for for defenses on every every step of the way. Um, he's just he's just too fast and he, he's just too dominant when the ball's around him. So I love I love Will Fuller, particularly him in open space, too. You can just dump it out to him on a screen and let him run with it. Next, I'm going to go with uh, A.J. Brown. I uh, I was watching his tape and the thing I love about him is that he gets separation by maintaining speed at the top of the break. So. A lot of receivers they don't necessarily run clean routes, or when they do, they kind of signal they're going to break, and then they slow down because they're looking for the ball. But the way that he creates so much separation is that he just keeps going at full speed at the top of the break, runs through the break, and uh, and that separation is just phenomenal. Because when I was in high school, they basically told me that in high school you can be wide open, and have you know ten foot bubble around you, and you're you're open. In college, that bubble's like maybe four feet, right? And in the pros, it's like one foot. So right. The fact that if a guy's behind you, you're open in, in the NFL. You would look at his tape, and there's nobody really within his bubble. So that that is impressive in of itself. So I love his ability to get separate. And then my first one is DJ Clark. This guy is oh, just shark. sorry shark DJ Shark Shark my, yeah Shark my baby, baby Shark yeah exactly. <laughs> That's actually hysterical. I wow, think. interesting. Okay, DJ Shark for me is, is just he is a monster. He he's a possession receiver, a proper possession receiver. Every there's no like 50-50 ball with him. Like he comes down with it. He has amazing ball skills. Like amazing ball skills. A lot of receivers let the ball eat up the space. He attacks mm-hmm. it um in the air anywhere it's his. So I love that. Um he's ferocious and he's just he's just he's just a monster i mean you watch him play he's just a monster i would not have guessed
1: that i would not have guessed Chuck, but i mean he did he his numbers were good last year um doesn't have elite quarterback play no ty hilton though you left him yeah, a little
2: surprised today. by
1: that
0: yeah i know I know. So, so hilton i know this was this was really hard for me um he, he's obviously an amazing receiver he was a little injured last year and that's the thing with me is like
2: the NFL. What about will Fuller? Will Fuller's been banged up year he's after been, year now.
0: He's been banged up year after year as well, and I think that's the issue with with Will is that he's gonna he has to figure out how to battle injuries, and that's why I think Kenny Stills is going to be a really interesting kind of one two punch because Kenny's kind of like an everyday workhorse kind of receiver, you know what I'm saying? As whereas Will is kind of like the explosive off the top, but yeah, T Y Hilton was it was right there on the edge for me, and I was like, man, like I wish I could include him, but I I have to edge with Will in that scenario. You're going right. to get an angry tweet. Go
2: ahead, Jack. I have another one. Brandon Cooks comes over. Brandon Cooks now is a Texan. That's that's 4,000-yard seasons that he's had, and he's only 26 years old. And he's played for four different teams, which is mind-boggling to me. New Orleans, New England, yeah. L.A., and now the Texans will be his fourth different team. Think about the number yeah. of leases he's had to break or houses he's had to sell. <laughs> Uh, one of the two he's got to be there and then T.Y. Hilton he's had 5,000 yard seasons 45 career touchdowns I mean I I know he had Andrew Luck T.Y. and he's banged up last year but I don't don't know I don't know that I can take Will Fuller and I'm a huge Will Fuller guy obviously we've watched more of him than anybody we probably have bias going all the way back to Notre Dame but I can't take Will Fuller over T.Y. Hilton or Brandon Cooks yet
1: Yeah. Brandon cooks. That's, that's interesting. Uh, It's always kind of a red flag when you're uh, on a bunch of different teams like that in a short amount of time, but it also means that teams want you. So it's good. It's good and bad teams want you. And then when they get you, they're okay with letting you go to another team. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Let's go. Let's, we got what we got the AFC North. Let's go to the AFC North here. Uh, I got Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and okay. Baltimore Jack, you got that. Why don't you go? Why don't you go three to one this time? Don't give away your top one until the end.
2: Yes. Okay. So I have watched more of this division growing up a Cincinnati Bengals fan than any other in football, and this I got to say was a hard ass thing for me to go through. Um, so I went number three with Jarvis Landry of. The Cleveland Browns, back to his time at Miami, I factored in his time with the Browns. Three of six, so he's had six total NFL seasons, three of those over a 1,000 yards. He's he's really a workhorse kind of a receiver, though. Gets a ton of targets, 110-plus targets uh, every year that he's been in the league. No season with fewer than 80 catches, Uh, but he's never been a big touchdown guy. Never been over double digits uh, with regard to touchdowns, but I just think he's a gritty dominator kind of a guy in the slot and I couldn't think of anybody when I looked around the division um, even young guys coming in that I would take over him uh, on my pedestal of top three number two I go OBJ Odell Beckham Jr and I know he's he's somebody that people like to throw a lot of lot of stones and rocks at uh, but ben, he'll and, catch and, and, them all well. if you do catch, that he catch will them catch all. Them. <laughs> they'll do it one-handed they'll do it one-handed Six years that he's been in the league, five of those over a thousand, including last year, which people act like was a bad season uh, for him. And, and just just think about his his quarterback play too, Eli Manning and a young, inexperienced Baker Mayfield uh, is who he's had. That's that's really all he's been able to play with throughout his career. And then my number one, I go A.J. Green. And I understand that he has not been healthy lately. Um, and it wasn't enough for me to to back off, and and the way that I made this decision, as I said, if I'm Joe Burrow and I can have OBJ, Jarvis, or A.J. Green for this year, who would I want? And it's very clearly A.J. Green. Uh, I think he's going to be the, the least amount of a headache. Um, I think he's going to be perfect relationship-wise. Eight years he's been in the league, six of those over a 1,000 yards. One of them he stopped at 964 uh, and didn't even play all the games. That was back in 2016. Those are all with Andy Dalton as his quarterback. I think this is one of the most superstar players in the NFL that never got the credit he deserved just because he's stuck in Cincinnati, Ohio, his whole career. Yeah.
1: I love uh, I
2: love watching, watching him play.
1: I, and I hope he's healthy. You know, the toe injuries, those seem like so finicky. I talk yeah. about this all the time with him. It just seems like you step the wrong way, and it's just like you're out for a month. And it's just crazy. So I, I do hope he can stay healthy because I think it would be fun to see um, him and uh, him and Joe Burrow hook up and create a relationship there uh, in Cincinnati. Let's finish up the AFC here, Corey. I gave you the uh, the AFC East here.
0: Yeah, so three to one, three to one, three to uh, one.
1: Let's just keep it going three to one because that's how I've ordered the pictures here too. Okay, so I want to make it very difficult on
0: me. <laughs> I'm taking my talents to Miami for number three, and, and once again, all, all these receivers. I know last time South uh, was was pretty pretty tough on you guys. You know, you yeah, guys really yeah. came at me. I think once, <laughs> and I respect You're that. Feel free to
2: come back. It's hard.
0: It's, it's a so lot hard harder than I because thought. It's so hard, Jack, and I, and I love what you said it's so hard because it's a, it's almost like people think you can just compare one to one, but this is like, you know, when you have apex predators, being a lion doesn't take away from a hippo or from a black mamba or from a leopard, you know what I'm saying? Like, these are all, these are all <laughs> dominant receivers in their own spaces, so that there's more than enough room for all these guys in the game, but – we gotta rank them. So
1: you, at one point you said, "You know what I'm saying," and I was like, "I don't think I don't know that I know what you're saying." But then it totally <laughs> made, made sense. You're right, absolutely. I there's more than it.
0: enough game. There's more than enough room in the game. So we're going to Miami for number three, yes. okay. Devontae Parker. Um, I really like his game. He had a breakout season. Um, the thing about him when you watch him play is he has wonderful hands. Like this guy is like vacuum hands. Everything just just sucks it up. So I love that he attacks the ball, which once again is not common. Um, and he's just a traditional possession receiver. So I love, I love that combination of Fitzpatrick and him going back and forth. Love that. Um, number two is Julian Edelman. I have been an Edelman fan for a very long time. And uh, maybe that's also part of my bias, but man, this guy, he is so smart. And I, the way that I kind of am attracted to receivers is how they play the game. you know, Uh, I think beyond once you get to a certain level, if you're talking about 1000 yard seasons, I think stats are stats, right? Um, But it's just how the stats are going to be there. But how do they play? And Edelman plays um, just brilliantly. The guy has an unbelievable football IQ. And you can see when he's running routes, sometimes he'll he'll read the defense and you're supposed to go run the route through the pocket, but he'll stay in the pocket, slow down and kind of break off a slant into a hook route or a stick route because he understands that's where the pocket is. Or even when he's running like an out route, he'll release inside because the cornerback, if you release inside, normally that means you're breaking inside. So the cornerback starts shading him. Then at the top of the route, he'll stack, give an inside fake and go over the top and he's wide open. He creates separation just brilliantly. He's a technician. He's a perfect route runner. I love the way he plays and he can play all over the field. So I'm a huge Edelman fan.
2: And, And Corey, I know you'll respect this too. He is one of the most vicious blockers at the receiver position I mean, i've never seen dudes that will come in motion get in there full speed and go dig out a strong safety coming down at 225 pounds he is a dog when it comes to blocking too sorry go ahead
0: yeah no and that's exactly it like edelman is a football player you know he's not he a is. diva like the guy is a football player what do you need me to do you need me to be on the on the wide side boundary run a go route i got you you know like yeah. you need me to come down and crack a strong safety i'm your yeah. man like the guy can just play football And I love football players. So Edelman is my guy. Love him. You
1: love him, but not enough to put him number one.
0: Because Stefan Diggs is just something else right now. I mean, last season was just spectacular with the Vikings. And I'm so excited to see him in Buffalo. Um, They have a really nice receiving core over there. But he's a phenomenal route runner as well. But he has this kind of, uh, he has this gameplay speed that is just, like Jack said, NFL speed is fast. But Stefan Diggs. (laughs) It <laughs> he makes, he makes fast guys look slow. And when you have that type of explosion at that position with that type of route running ability, I mean, that is just that's a combination. So I had to give him number one. And he's yeah. so dangerous in open field. Once you get the ball, yeah. not only is it impossible to cover, but once you get it, once he gets the ball, it's just like a highlight reel. It's like watching like Lamar Jackson, you know, run in the open field. It's just, yeah, it's a Madden. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he how he uh, hooks up with Josh Allen. What do you think of Josh Allen as a quarterback, Jack? And how do you think Stephon Diggs may uh, may may change
2: him? I think he's a great runner. I, truthfully, Josh Allen I think he's a great runner. I don't, accuracy, I mean, in terms of predicting year over year accuracy or you know elevations in accuracy year to year, it just doesn't happen very often. So if quarterback's inaccurate one year, he's typically inaccurate the next year. Uh, the the thing about Diggs that I, I I agree with you that he should be number one. Uh A because Julian Edelman's, Julian Edelman's getting old. Uh, and B because, you know, they talk about Corey, and they, this is probably a great one for you because you were really one of the best, is it's like 50-50 balls, right? When you have a great wide receiver or tall guys, they say it's 50-50. Uh well, Stephon Diggs, it's 60-40 every time you throw up a deep ball. Since since 2016, he has the leaded contested catch race uh rate in the entire NFL at 60%. So I, I like, I like him at number one. He's earned that spot.
0: I'm sorry. And- My wife, I just went out. What is it? Can you repeat that? Oh. Sorry.
2: Uh Oh, Uh Oh, Corey's audio went out. We're going to
1: take Corey away. Hold on. Hold on. I can do this. I can do this. Corey goes away. There I is. bring Corey, and then I Come bring I back? Corey back. Can you hear it? Can you hear it, Corey? <laughs> yes, yes, I can so hear what you it. What got to do in 2020? This is—it's no big deal. This is just what you do in 2020. When we get in real life and that happens, that's more of a problem. If Corey's sitting <laughs> right next to us because he can't hear, yeah, we go. Corey can't hear. Just walk out of the
2: room and then walk back in. Things should be fine. That's, um, so that's, that's
0: Jack about 50-50 balls.
2: Yeah, I was just saying that his since 2016, he is the number one in the entire NFL on contested catches. He's got 60% of contested catches. So for him, it's not 50-50 balls. It's 60-40 balls, and he's one of the few guys in the league that can say that. Really, the only one at 60%. Yeah,
0: and that that is tips the difference because you have to understand from a – so I'm just going to drop some receiver knowledge on you. Yeah. Um, you have to understand from our perspective, like, what a receiver is looking at, right? You have, you're basically hunting two different animals, right, and you're being hunted. One, you got to understand what does the quarterback want? The quarterback wants a wide margin of error, right? So they don't have to be perfect every time. Because if if you if you make Aaron Rodgers throw an Aaron Rodgers throw every single time, you know ask you're asking a lot. And how many Aaron Rodgers are there in the league? So you want to be able to give them a margin of error. And you all and the, the biggest thing about a margin of error is either space, like physical space, how much space do you have around you, which is why Keenan Allen and those guys are so great at separation, or you can basically go to the contested catch and say, look, it doesn't matter, just throw it up. I'm your guy. Just throw it up. And that's why Julio's so good. And that's why Stefan is so good, because he's not very big, but he plays big. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And and that is like it's so tough, because if you have a Calvin Johnson or someone like who's a big possession receiver on the outside, um, you can throw it up to them. And, you know, they're coming down with it. But this guy, he can do that 60 yards down the field on a post route, you know. And that is the difference. It's like, okay, is it a a red zone threat? Is it an intermediate threat, 10 to 19 yards? No, him and Tyreek, they're doing what possession receivers do at 10 to 19 yards, 40, 50, 60 yards down the field. And that creates massive mismatches all over the field. So that's why this guy is so special.
1: Yeah, I think the Vikings they they knew what they had with Stefan Diggs, but they're gonna know it even more when he's when he's not there and they don't have that uh, outlet for Kirk Cousins there. So he is over with the Bills. Thank you to whoever photoshopped that uh, for us. That looks uh, awesome. We both uh, we all have one more division here. Jack will uh, will give you your last division. We'll give you the uh, the NFC West. How did you see that? Top three receivers in the NFC West.
2: And FC West. Let me get my scroll game going here. Sure. Okay. So in the West, I went number three. Uh, this may come as a little surprise to you guys. Uh, Cooper Cup. Mm. With the LA it Rams. would have been a surprise
1: if I hadn't already gotten the picture. But I, I would. I am I am a bit surprised by that, Jack.
2: Yeah. I uh, Kind of one of those guys that you realize is his value most when he wasn't there. When he tore his ACL back in 2018. Yeah. And the whole offense just looked not the same. Uh, another 11, uh, 1100 yard uh, receiving year last year, 10 touchdown year he's coming off of uh, and tougher. So he's a great route runner, but a lot tougher after the catch than people give him credit for. I think he looks like a small kind of a guy, but 548 yards after the catch, that yak stuff, uh, fourth among all wide receivers. So he can get it done when he gets the ball in his hands uh, in and in a favorite of Jared Goff, also a favorite of Mr. McVay. Uh, Number two, I go Tyler Lockett and back to that whole Jamal Adams trade. That's a third round pick right there. That's just a throwaway in the Jamal Adams trade with those other two first round picks. They throw a third rounder in there. Tyler Lockett was that back in 2015 and has just gotten better every single season since. Uh, He's a dominator there for Russell Wilson. And I've always thought Seattle. They're one of like the riskiest conservative teams ever. Like they love to play the game, start the game super conservatively and just rock the ball and keep it out of Russell's (laughs) hand. And then they're down 10 and it's like, Russ, go win it for us. Do anything you need to do, go win it. Yeah,
1: they almost want to make it more difficult for Russell Wilson. They're like, let's see if he can do it. (laughs) See if he can
2: do one more miracle. And he typically does, almost every game he does. Uh, And a big reason why is a guy like Tyler Locker right there. Number one is as easy as it gets. Uh, If not the best receiver in football, he's top two. And I don't know who the other one is, DeAndre Hopkins. And you're about to see him go off with Kyler Murray uh, in that Kingsbury offense. I cannot.
1: I cannot wait to see that because you guys know how high I am on Kyler Murray. I think I put him uh, as my number one quarterback five years from now when I projected the uh, 2025 uh, top 40 quarterback. I love Kyler Murray. And I think he he showed a lot last year, and uh, yeah, DeAndre Hopkins gives him that that number one receiver, and then you still got Larry Fitzgerald, who's like got the surest hands of uh, anyone in the NFL as well. At yeah, Corey, that's gonna that's gonna be fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and Larry's proves that if you're a great route runner, you can still do it late, 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 late in your career and just sure. produce crazy numbers. So I'm a big fan of Fitz as well. Uh, I wanted to ask you though, Jack, where is Debo Samuel? kind of fall for you because you know he's something else man i really like watching him play
2: he's right there he's right there i mean that's where that's where these lists become so hard he's four uh you can make the case he's there three two i mean it's like Mm -hmm. that's where it's just you you can toss it back and forth a million different ways the the funniest part about um about hopkins though is so we only got to see him with watson and watson i think we're all in agreement is going to be one of the next great quarterbacks that the nfl is going to see and we only got to see him for what will likely be Watson's three worst seasons. You know what I mean? His three least experienced seasons. You have to imagine that right. Watson's only going to get better. Uh, and those guys went off together. I mean, Hop had three seasons over hundred catches uh, in, in in his entire career. Two of those were 2018, 2019, both of those with Watson, his, his years that he had over 10 touchdowns, those were with Watson. So some of his best seasons that we've seen, Uh, have been when those two are together. So if there's any headache going on between Coach O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins, it was never affecting what's happened on the field. So for that reason, I'm still shocked to this day that they basically got nothing for one of the absolute best receivers in football.
1: Yeah. And and you and you wonder, too. I mean, that is also a security blanket for for Deshaun Watson. Obviously, it's never good for a quarterback when you lose your best receiver. But who knows? It'll be interesting to see how his game changes. And maybe uh, maybe he does grow and develop a little bit differently as a quarterback than he would have if he had the security blanket of uh, DeAndre Hopkins there. Corey, your last division is the NFC North. How do you see? How do you see that one? Top three quarterbacks here. or uh, I'm sorry. Receivers in the uh, NFC North.
0: Yeah, my third is uh, A-Rob, Allen Robinson for the Bears. Mm. He is – he's also a monster. He has kind of been alone on the receiving core, you know, historically. Like the past couple years in in Chicago, he's been putting up numbers, but there really hasn't been a lot of support. So – but, yeah, he's just savvy once again. He's a veteran with veteran knowledge, and he just knows how to play the game. He understands defenses. He understands how to play games with the cornerback. Because like I said before, you are basically – thinking how does a quarterback think and what does he want from me? But you're also thinking about a cornerback. So the thing that's so fascinating about cornerbacks is that they study you, right? Like they know your tendencies. They know your releases. They know your routes. They know your route trees. They know that in this formation, there's only a couple routes this person can run. Or if they move A-Rob to the slot, what routes do they like to have him in the slot for? You know, what are they trying to free up? How are they trying to uncover him? So as a receiver, you have to know that. And then you have to game plan yourself and thinking, hmm, what does, you know, this guy think about my game and how would they how would I game plan myself? How would this D coordinator game plan myself? And he thinks that way. You can see it in the way he plays like he is just really, really smart. He just knows the game. And I, as as a fan of the game, I'm a big fan of that. So, yeah, a Rob is third Um, has
1: had to do it without elite quarterback play or even average quarterback play for basically his whole career.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, it's going to be really fascinating moving forward because they, he has now some help. Uh, they got uh, Ted Ginn Jr., who is a speedster, which hopefully will stretch the defense and kind of give him more space to operate in one-on-one situations. And then you have um, Cole Komet, too, coming in that will help on the intermediate. So I think he's going to have a little bit more help um, in their offense. So the second one for me, though, this guy, Kenny Gall- Galladay. Oh, yeah. my goodness, man. I mean, just... he watching him play is like watching speechless i mean really i was i mean it was so unbelievable to me he has so he's a traditional possession receiver right in the school of the possession receivers if you will but he uh has elite body control like his body awareness is beautiful i mean it is it is unbelievable to know exactly where you are at all times on the field, to know how much space you have before you go out of bounds, to understand situations. Because as a possession receiver, you have to know situations. You have to know where the sticks are. You have to know how far am I from out of bounds. What is the time on the clock? What is the situation in two minutes? The red zone. Like, how how am I going to make myself uncovered in the red zone? And how do I play off of my limited space? Like, these are all situational tendencies that a lot of guys don't understand from like a – like um. From an academic standpoint, if you will, this guy gets it. And that's why he led the NFL in touchdowns. He had 11 TDs last year. Like the guy is just so dangerous in the red zone. I, I've never really seen anything like I'm really excited to watch him play more. He is just and he still has enough speed for double moves, too. Like he can still beat you in the open field with a double move. Um, I love this guy. Really big fan of his. But first is Devontae Adams. Yeah. How to go green, Bay. That guy is he's a problem. Um he, his, I think the way that he gets separation is that he has unbelievable um, start-stop speed. The guy can just get in and out of breaks, or he can set you up with a hesitation, and then he's gone. On the line, his, if you look at his releases, he'll kind of set you up, stop your feet, and that's all she wrote. The guy's gone, and you can only see his numbers. You can only see the back of his jersey, and that's what I love about his game is he's a good route runner, but his explosion, stop-start speed, is just unparalleled, and I, and I really think that that creates... It just makes a lot of mismatch problems, and he has an unbelievable knack for the ball. Doesn't matter where it is. Doesn't matter if he's covered. Doesn't matter if it's away from his body, on his body. Like he could be falling back, going backwards across the field, over the middle. Doesn't matter. Throw it up, and he somehow comes down with it.
1: Yeah, and it was Stefan Gilmore that uh, that said last year about Devonte Adams and Keenan Allen. He said those two receivers had the, the you know the best separation and the best uh, release off the ball of of any receivers that that he covered and so that's high praise coming from one of the best uh in the nfl yep. i'll finish it up here uh with the nfc east was not as wide receiver stacked as my other division the uh, nfc south but that's okay i'm going golden tate three Gold. respect his game yeah uh, you got to give some love to the little guys out there just get it done right tough as nails getting a guy's face I respect that. I respect the, the personality that he shows out there as much as his receiving skills. So I had to put him in the top three for me in the uh, the mm-hmm. NFC East. Number two. Wow. Terry McLaurin is uh, what, what? Third round out of Ohio State. No one really thought, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were high in his speed and thought he could uh, make some big plays, but he made a lot of plays. Not all of them big, but certainly enough uh, in an offense that wasn't necessarily that conducive. Uh, to big plays, Dwayne Haskins struggled for most of his rookie years. So I, I thought that was an incredible year and almost to the point where I think he could be number one in this division. Jack, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I, I think I, I go number one right now is, uh, is Amari Cooper, a little tiny Amari. I'll make him bigger there. Um, but I, I think he's proven proven a little bit more uh, at this point in his career even though he does disappear at times in games and even in entire seasons it seemed like in Oakland where it looked like he would be a perennial 1,000 yard uh, a year guy and it just didn't happen for a couple of years and then he goes over to Dallas and for the most part is uh, is huge in that offense but then there's some big games where he catches one or or none so I think right now he's number one but Terry, he he's coming for him, Jack, and I I, yeah. I really like what I saw from
2: him last year. What do you think? I think I think you have it pegged, and I think it's like this: like you have, you know, he's McLaurin's just coming up, and he may pass him, but it's sort of right there right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the the immediate impact that Amari Cooper had on the Cowboys' offense. It took him from a bum team to a playoff team like that, yeah. and he basically had nothing else around him. I you know other with the exception of Zeke Elliott back there. There really sure. was not a, a lot of other weapons. And if you want to give the Jason Witten argument, Jason Witten wasn't Jason Witten these last few years. He just won. He, couldn't, he really couldn't run. Um, and so we, you put C.D. Lamb next to this guy now, and we we know the value of having two great receivers taking a little heat off a number one like an Amari Cooper, and you may see an explosion uh, from him, specifically knowing that Dak Prescott's playing for his life, uh, trying to get somebody to give him a fair contract.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so hopefully we created some beef, some even more beef right there, especially with T.Y. Hilton, Corey, I think leaving him off, if we can somehow email this link to him and get him to tweet about us, uh, that would help this podcast a lot because he will be very upset that you left him off your top. Once
0: again, I have a lot of respect for T. I. White Hilton, but I've watched Will Fuller up close for four years, for three years, you know, and it's just how it's really difficult for me to, after seeing him practice every day for three years, I know what he has, and I'm like, that guy is dangerous, dangerous dude.
2: You're right. right. You you know, the thing, Corey, honestly, with Will Fuller is he's been this close to having that explosion year that you're predicting. He has been this close time after time, and he was healthy at Notre Dame. He just has not found that healthy streak yet. But you have to think with all those targets we're talking about, those hundred plus target years that Hopkins was getting. Now that it's Brandon Cooks and him and not DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller, he may all of a sudden start getting those 70, 80 targets. And he he could have he stays healthy just one year, it could be an explosion. You're right. That's what I'm saying. So that is how we see it in
1: all the divisions. I popped up a picture there of uh A guy we won't be seeing in the uh, NFC East this year had uh, signed with the Eagles. That's a Photoshop picture because he spent his whole career or previous uh, years in uh, in San Francisco. Marquise Goodwin. Let's finish this out with, you know, we we talk about the Jamal Adams having beef with the Jets. And then you have Keenan Allen having beef with other wide receivers out there. You know, they're they're players that, you know, have have beef with the season entirely and, and playing in 2020. And it's understandable, certainly for a guy like. Marquise Goodwin, who has opted out of this 2020 season, we'll hear more stories like this one. Um, but he and his wife have had uh, multiple pregnancies that have, have not gone well. They have lost uh, a children a couple of times. And so he thought for for this one year that it was more important for him to be with his wife, to be with his family, than to to be in the NFL. And, guys, he is uh, he's not alone. We're seeing a lot of these decisions made, a lot from the New England Patriots over the last couple of days. Um and I do I do think what what's kind of made me feel good about seeing these stories come out, Jack, is that the reaction from the fans is it seems to be supportive. Right. I, we know yeah. that this season is such a strange year and uh, there's so such personal decisions that these players have that uh, if, if they don't feel right about playing in 2020, I think we we respect that. And, and I think a lot of fans have so far.
2: I'm, I'm in complete agreement with everything you just said. And I also think that no matter who opt out, who opts out, it's still going to go on. I think Aaron Rodgers could opt out. And I think Jordan, you know, you all of a sudden love becomes QB1. I think it would happen like that. I really do. I mean, my, my dad tells me a story about the replacement players uh, back in the 80s when all, you know, they all started their own league and they were going to all leave the NFL and holding out. And guess what? There's a brand new group of guys in, in Dallas Cowboy uniforms. They were lining up and playing and, that's just the way that this business operates. Uh, but you, you mentioned the Patriots. I mean, they've gone from $8 million in cap to $24 million in cap. Do they go get a clowny at this point? Do they go get a uh, – who do they go spend that money on before the start of the season? This just feels like some Bill Belichick mastermind type stuff where he turns all of this lemon into lemonade mm-hmm. by week one, and we're all going, how in the hell? Did he go find that before we got the week one uh, to pair with Cam Newton on a zero million dollar contract that he got him on?
1: Yeah. What do you think, Corey?
0: Yeah, I respect everyone's decision. You know, it's a personal decision, as you mentioned. And and when it comes to the health of the people you love, because like um, what Goodwin said in his Instagram live or YouTube live, it was so fascinating. You know, he's like, my family is the reason why I play, you know, and. And I don't want to do anything that could endanger them. So I totally understand and respect his decision. I'm happy that fans do as well. And like Jack says, at Notre Dame we had a a saying: "Next man in." And the next, the the game will be played. The show will go on. You know. So I just hope, like I said before, that that teams respect and don't necessarily discount um, the decision to opt out against these guys. Because sometimes with football, it's either you're all in, or you know, or you're not. And I think in this scenario, I hope that this doesn't. You know, I hope it's not held against the guys in future yeah. negotiations and in future playing time because that would
2: be a real shame. But I mean, it's, it's not that it's going to be held against them, but it is going to be. I mean, you you know how it works, Corey. I mean, it, even if you missed two weeks when you're at Notre Dame, you just gave five other guys the opportunity of a lifetime, and yeah. so it's not like they're going to hold it against you. It's just that they're not going to hold it against the other five guys that came in and did something with the opportunity either. And the, the unfortunate nature with this league is there is always about a thousand guys at your position that are great football players that are just dying for that one chance. And a lot of guys this year that wouldn't have are going to get that one chance.
1: Yeah. And there's always that idea that, you know, you can't lose your starting position due to injury. You know, you heard that. I think you heard that more five, ten years ago than you do right now, because we've seen it over and over. You get injured and your replacement goes in there, even if it's for a handful of games, not a full season, your replacement goes in there and produces, it's going to be hard to, to win your, uh, your job back. But yeah, I think the 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 most concerning ones, and and you know, all the opt outs are for for different and personal reasons, as you mentioned. But uh, Laurent duvernay Tarta from the the Chiefs, you see here as we note on our NBC Sports tracker of all the players who have opted out here, got a medical degree, has been working as an orderly at a long term care facility in his hometown of Montreal, and for him, seeing it close up, you know, seeing the effects of coronavirus and what it can have on You know, people who are elderly, but not necessarily exclusively, um, it just makes you step back. And when the doctors are are saying, you know, hey, this is a real deal, you listen to them, you know, and the people that are around it, you you listen to them. And so it's, you know, that that gives you pause as the people that are closest to coronavirus and seeing the effects of it. If he doesn't want to play because he just doesn't feel that it's right it makes you it makes you question uh, about about what we're doing right here, the exact words of Buster Posey before he opted out of uh, of the San Francisco Giants season over on the baseball side. It's like, well, what are we doing right here? and what are we trying to do? We all want it to be safe. We all want it to work out. It's just a matter of can we do it so yeah right? it and,
0: uh, too he he says like in his statement that he if he's going to take a risk, like he has full, you know it's full um um. Uh, assurance that the Kansas City Chiefs medical staff will do their best. But he's like, if I'm going to take a risk, you can't erase all risk. I'd rather do it caring for patients. And I thought that was a really admirable thing to do. You know, he's like, I'm still on the front line. I'm still exposing myself. But mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I do my job as a doctor, you know, first, which I thought was like, wow, that's hats off yeah. to you, man. Yeah. So.
1: All right. Um, I want to end this with uh this all things NFL beef, guys, On more of on more of a happier note. Where's the next big beef coming from? So give me, give me over the next month here, where you think we're going to get our next big NFL beef. And I'll start because I I thought about this beforehand. And I think our big NFL beef that we're going to see over the next month is going to be with the Washington football team and their local media. We've already seen a little bit of it with Ron Rivera kind of telling the local media and it may have been in jest, but it, it probably has a little uh, element of truth to it where he said, you know, hey, let's get all the bad stuff out now, but let's not dwell on all the bad stuff. And let's, you know, we're turning a new leaf here. I don't know if it's going to be that easy for him. So it's been a bit of a contentious relationship with the, uh, the Washington media and that football team for a while. I think that'll continue. So that'll be my beef to watch here in the next month. Corey, I'll, I'll send it to you. You got one uh, offhand that you can think of that we should uh, we should look out for here soon.
0: Yeah, I think people um, during training camp, if anyone does something on irresponsible and then comes back Ooh, and, and yeah. infects people, I think that's definitely going to be an issue. We saw that with my, even it wasn't irresponsible, but we saw the spread of how quickly the, the virus can go with the, yeah. with the Marlins, right? So I think that's going to be the number one thing. If there's a spread, if there's people going to be like, wait, what did you do? What'd you do? And I think that's yeah. going to be the next beef.
1: Who do blame? That's what we, we do like to do that in 2020. Who who do we blame? And I, I bet you it does come out for the Miami Marlins. Like we haven't really heard who may have been you know patient zero in the beginning of the spread there, but I I bet that does come out, and that's a good that's a good call, uh, pointing fingers at who started the thing
2: that's a damn yeah. good one you know what it's gonna become is it's gonna become strategy because if you get it that you know positive test okay now you missed two weeks now you have two losses on the schedule now you're not making the playoffs now all of a sudden they're looking at the kid who's 23 years old and brought this in who whatever the case may be and it's a complete blame game like I got yeah that that I think is where it's gonna to get to um but you you can see how I mean even going through all the guys that are sitting out I mean look at baseball this is not a bubble you're gonna have positive cases and and right. I think it's gonna it's not going to be one team. It's going to be multiple teams with positive cases and, and probably more than one. Um, and, and trying to police your locker rooms by yourself. I mean, it, it's just going to be a wild, wild year. And it's not like it happens week one and we're done with it. It's going to be just weekly. Just every yeah. week this this comes back up one, one time again. You brought up the Washington football team, Ahmed. And I, I just want to make one point about the Washington football team. Them not picking a new name after having all that time and calling it the Washington football team, You are not going to convince me that this is not the biggest PR stunt of all time, of all time, to distract from the rest of the mess that is going on within that building. They don't want you talking about this. They want you talking about the fact that it's called the Washington football team and what might be the new names. They have managed to keep the conversation here and distract from here in a way that I have never seen America be distracted, and it has completely worked so far. So to some degree, I think we need to keep the heat on Mr. Dan Schneider uh, and can consider what that means uh, as far as punishment, et cetera, for him uh, and not on the fact that they haven't come up with a new name because it is a distraction, and so far it's working.
1: Sure. That's your beef?
2: That's my that's biggest pers- beef.
1: That's, your personal, that's a personal beef. That's like that's a beef, a beef. between,
2: <laughs> yeah, it didn't between take
1: Jack and that franchise. Yeah. Uh, well, that's all things NFL beefs, and then we we sorted out who are the best receivers in each division. So I'm glad that is uh, that is settled. There's no controversy there anymore. We did we put that to bed. Um, well done, guys. We'll we'll just go back now to our normal lives. We'll sit back and just wait for more beef, and then we'll all jump in front of a microphone again and talk about it. Sound good?
2: man. We hit an hour. Who would have thought? I know.
1: I can't believe it. Unbelievable. A new record. Well done, guys. Let's
2: see you, fellas.